Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey, y'all. So I made a super last minute decision to pause recording new podcast episodes during the month of July. I realized while I was taking a walk a couple of days ago that I just need a rest, especially after last month's attachment series. So I reached out to a few podcasts where I'd been a guest and asked if I could publish the interview that I did on their podcast on my podcast, Karen Buckwalter and her team over at the Attachment Theory in Action podcast graciously agreed. And today you are going to hear part one of two of an interview that I did with Karen earlier this year 
where we explored how I use relational neurosciences as the foundation for everything I do at work, on the podcast, in the club, and in my personal life with my friends and family. I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who've experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who've experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast at a whim with the intention to get free, accessible support to you as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll even hear a cockadoodle do in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. You are definitely going to want to head over to my website and get the free ebook I created all about the brilliance of attachment. I took everything from the six-part series on attachment that I did on this podcast last month and had it professionally laid out into a free ebook. Watching this series go from words into what feels like a work of art was surprisingly lovely, and I hope you'll love it. RobinGobel.com slash ebook. And of course, while you're on my website, you're definitely going to want to check out The Club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Earlier this month, I released a brand new feature in The Club where all of the club content, masterclasses, Q&As, guest presenters, everything that happens in The Club on my video now has the audio uploaded into a private podcast just for club members. This has been a huge hit. If you happen to be listening to this podcast episode, the day it's released on July 6th, today is the last day the club is open for new members. If you loved last month's look at attachment, you're going to love what's in store for you in the club in the coming months. For attachment to truly change, it needs to move from what I would call a left brain learning, like what we did here on the podcast in the last month, teaching, you taking information, and we move that into a more embodied and whole brain experience. That best happens in a dynamic and active group because attachment shifts when we receive what we needed to be seen, safe, soothed, and secure. Even though the club is virtual, we get to do this with each other, having experiences of being seen, safe, soothed, and secure. And then we can offer that to our kids. One club member has told me she's never felt so seen. And another has said they're thinking more and more about self-compassion. You can read all about the club. And again, if you happen to be listening to this episode, the day that it airs on July 6th, You can register through the end of today. The club opens for new members every three months. So if you missed the registration period that ended on July 6th, you can put your name on the waiting list and you'll be the first to know when it reopens for new members in the fall. RobinGobel.com slash the club. Alrighty. So I hope you enjoy this flip-flop podcast where I am interviewed by Karen Buckwalter from the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Of course, when this podcast episode's over, the next thing you're going to want to do is add the Attachment Theory in Action to your podcast player because Karen has had some amazing guests, including Dan Siegel, Tina Prane-Bryson, and recently Lou Cozzolino. All right, here we go. 
So, hey, Robin, it is so good to have you here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast again. I'm so glad to have you back again. Well, I'm thrilled to be invited back and just to spend some time connecting with you is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I also, uh, before you came on doing your introduction, told listeners that they could maybe even probably expect you again in the future beyond this podcast. Well, I hope so. So much to talk to you about. And and I, I know we've even talked about some, some other topics. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is good. So interpersonal neurobiology and play and child therapy, you know, our mm-hmm. overall topic today. And I know that maybe you want to, although I mentioned it in my introduction, share some of the ways that you've been teaching on this topic, like how how this became a strong interest of yours and what you've been doing around interpersonal neurobiology. I would love to. Um, I was first like introduced to the concept of interpersonal neurobiology probably about 10-ish years ago. I heard Dan Siegel do a plenary at the Andrea conference. I, I heard the recording of it. And it was one of those moments that, you know, we have these moments in our careers that just are these anchors, right? Like these sparks that you're like, oh, everything changed after that. Yes. And I that was that plenary for me, just listening to him talk about this field I'd never heard of before and weaving together the relational brain and the social brain. And, and I think at that moment, I was most interested in how he was talking about the science of attachment. Yes. So I just really took with it, took it like ran with it um, and just read and learned as much as possible And that really deepened when I started studying in depth with Bonnie Badnock. And how did that come about? Well, I had a really good colleague in Austin who was bringing Bonnie to Austin for a three-day workshop. And I really didn't even know enough at that point about Bonnie to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. But because my colleague was so excited about her, I knew that she must be amazing. And the the retreat was probably gonna be amazing. So I signed up and funny enough, I almost dropped out. Like I, after I registered for it, I had this moment of realizing what I had gotten into, which was that studying interpersonal neurobiology and studying like the embodied nervous system and I are embodied attachment experiences wasn't showing up and learning like from PowerPoint slides and learning a bunch of theory and then walking away with it. It was immersive. It was self exploration. And I had a moment where I find, I really realized that. I was like, hmm, I'm not so sure I'm actually up for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I even reached out to Bonnie and said, I've signed up for this three-day workshop and I'm, I'm really afraid. And she was wonderful. And uh, we scheduled a telephone call so she could, you know, just support me through what my fears were about learning in this very present resonant embodied way, which is just so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. 
And I ended up, of course, going through the workshop. And then a couple months later, she came back to Austin to speak at the Texas Play Therapy Conference. And I... That it was another one of those pivotal moments where like everything changes. And she said out loud, like within probably the first hour of the day, no behavior is maladaptive. Mm-hmm. And I like, I mean, that just like blew me up. <laughs> this idea. Uh, like what? Um, and I asked her at that conference, I went up to her at the conference and said, are you taking consultees? And she said, yes. (laughs) And then, so I've just studied super in depth with her since then, both with like, she does this year long immersive program up in Vancouver, Washington that I've done. And I've done other workshops with her and, um, you know, very, very regular consultation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like IPNB is this wonderful, integration of like learning about the brain, but then experiencing the relational presence with somebody else, like while you're learning about the brain and how those two pieces come together to create shifts in like our nervous system and who we are as therapists. Right. And I, looking back, I guess I just really needed it. Like, I think I needed it personally. I needed it professionally. And I just dove in. And then last year, I was invited to teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology with the Portland Community College Foundation of, Foundations of Interpersonal Neurobiology Certificate Program. Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun, too. So that's it's just gotten me more involved in the community. And then I ended up joining the board of directors for the global association of interpersonal neurobiology. And I mean, it really is a way of being on the planet as opposed to like a professional endeavor for me. Right. Yeah. Right. But it does impact our professional endeavors profoundly. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So just, you know, in looking at, you know, this is the Attachment Theory in Action mm-hmm. podcast. And mm-hmm. before we get down to some specifics about play and things like that, um, when you think of um, interpersonal neurobiology, IPNB, which mm-hmm. for some reason I don't find that acronym helpful. I have a, just as hard of a time saying that as I do like the actual words. The actual words, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, when you think of that area of study and attachment theory, what kind of big intersections like go in, like, you know, how does your mind start pinging about attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology? So interpersonal neurobiology, and then what's kind of broadened into the field of the relational neurosciences. So really moved beyond Dan Siegel's work and incorporates, you know, Porges and Ponskip and all these other, you know, Alan Shore's regulation theory, um, first anchored me into un- truly understanding like the science of attachment. It took attachment as this, um, this theory that felt really hard for me to grasp and turned it into something that made a whole lot of sense to me. Like why the implicit and why these 
nonverbal experiences were generationally passed down, why what happened in that first year of life impacts, I mean, everything almost. Yes. So this... The IPNB is certainly more than understanding attachment theory only, but it, like it brings the science to understanding how these micro moments shape us in such a profound and really awe for me awe inspiring way. And then moving into how attachment theory and regulation theory are yes. so intertwined and looking at Alan Shore's work for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me personally, understanding the science gave me the confidence to truly lean into my belief in the power of attachment. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, And then from there, I just learned, I loved, I mean, I love memory science and memory science is a piece of like interpersonal neurobiology and attachment is implicit memory and understanding how the implicit memory is like the foundation is laid. And then now we have cool ideas from memory reconsolidation theory about how we actually can shift some of those things. Um, so in a way it's hard to even tease out IPNB from attachment theory. Right. It's also interrelated. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking of something right now as you're talking, um, as you know, I have a strong interest in the adult attachment interview. Yeah. And so, um, in addition to the interviews and, and gathering data with the interview, we have these monthly consultations with Miriam Steele where mm-hmm. we kind of um, dissect um, adult attachment interviews, totally non-identified, um, of course, um, for clinical application. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she'll, this phrase that she uses that I it's not necessarily a good thing, but I love the phrase is unmetabolized emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And how we'll see that begin to bubble up as we ask questions and and we see that 
of course, linguistically, because that's how we code the AI. But like what from I I was just sitting here thinking, I wonder, I've I've wondered about that before from an interpersonal neurobiology perspective, like a phrase like that, like how Mm -hmm. how do we think about that? So so from that perspective that you have, what would you say is, you know, unmetabolized emotion that is going on? What, What are your thoughts about that? I would look at the idea of unmetabolized emotion. I agree that that's a really lovely, you know, accurate way to look at it is these Isn't earlier the term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are these experiences that are and have emotional components to them that occurred in a way that did not provide the opportunity for the experience to be fully integrated into the brain and into those memory networks yes and those experiences get held in these you know neural networks these memory networks that just aren't you know as well let's just say as integrated with the as with the brain as we would like them to be i guess if we wanted to use language you know like like um and because you know, attachment experiences that aren't experiences of secure attachment, that aren't being co-regulated, that aren't experiences of being seen, felt, and known, they're experienced as these micro traumas in the nervous system. There's this, these emotional experiences that are left not co-regulated, not metabolized. Right. And then they get stored in that way in the neurobiology and then they happen repeatedly enough right i mean we're certain you and i certainly aren't saying that these you know occasional experiences where our we weren't co-regulated as infants or our needs weren't met you know like that happens that happens that's actually good for the nervous system for our needs not to be perfectly met but if it happens enough then they form you know, bigger neural networks that then the adult attachment interview, I think is just so brilliant to imagine that it was created before we understood this science is so remarkable because the way then the adult attachment interview accesses these things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to think about Bowlby and Ainsworth and others, you know, developing these ideas before we knew this. Um, And even a lot of what Winnicott wrote, um, which uh, we're going to get into play in a a bit. But I love this quote by uh, Winnicott. I I was as I was preparing for this interview, the Uh practice of psychotherapy must bring clients from a state of not being able to play into a state of being able to play. And that's Winnicott. So like, you know, these these scientists and um, psychiatrists and developmental uh-huh. scientists, like these are like smart people. They're like <laughs> figuring all this stuff out without the aid of what we have today. <laughs> they were so willing to trust their intuition. Yes. They saw this thing and experienced this thing and they knew it to be true and they were willing to trust it without the luxury of all the science that we have now. And I got to tell you, I don't know that I would have been able to do that. Like the science has really helped me. Yes. Lean into trusting exactly what Winnicott 
said. Yes. Yes. So I think another term out there that'll be relevant for our discussion today that I'd like if you could share about is um, this um, term that we hear a lot about the embodied brain. Um, That that's, you know, uh, especially with Bonnie Badnock. I mean, Mm -hmm. she talks about that like a lot. Right. Um, and so I think it would be good if listeners could get an understanding because that's a very different idea of the brain than perhaps we had previously. Yeah. For first off, like the idea of the embodied brain for me is this way of being super clear with our language that we are moving out of only being in our skulls, mm-hmm. especially in psychotherapy. Yes. That we've had this way of evolving in a, as a mental health field where we've really started to separate these two things, you know, our brain, our skull brain from not just the rest of our body, but like from the rest of our being, right? Like there are these two separate entities. So I think that frame the embodied brain is a important step in bringing all this back together. Like we don't, we need to be with people in this fully embodied relational self way and not just only be thinking about their thoughts or their skull brain that's happening up in their head. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, we can talk about how the, our nervous system extends throughout our body and we have a nervous system. We have neurons in our heart and we have a heart brain and we have neurons in our guts and how, um, the brain is mostly responsible for receiving information like up as opposed to giving information out um, and out into what we do and out into what we say. I mean, mostly the brain is receiving all this information from the sensory world. And, um, and then for me also the embodied brain takes one step further, which is the embodied brain exists between us that there's this space in between people in relational connection where there's energy being shared and shifts are happening in our synapses and and in our brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's the idea of, you know, not just the brain and the skull, but in the heart and in the gut and then in this experience in between us. Yeah. And, you know, so if somebody's out there saying heart brain, uh-huh. gut brain, uh-huh. what is she talking about? Is there, oh, I, I know it, it may take a whole podcast to explain <laughs> that, but um, are, are there a couple comments you would want to offer just in general about that idea? Well, that there's um, a considerable number of neurons. We have neurons in our gut and in our intestines and in our entered nervous systems and our digestive system and, and also around our heart. Like we have actual neurons, not only in our skull, they are Mm. throughout our um, viscera throughout our guts and throughout our heart and they connect with our spinal cord and our brain and so there's this way that again our brain isn't just processing information up in, in our skull it's not and it's not just connected to you know the 
heart cells and and gut cells it's connected to neurons like brain cells in our heart and in our gut and they're part of this amazing system that receives then information in from the world and you know then helps our brain kind of know know what to do with it right yeah yeah. And so, you know, we have these terms like a gut feeling or a yeah. broken heart or these kinds of terms then um, that we've had maybe throughout the ages even. Right. Um, this is like bringing some science to why those terms came about. Yes. There's really something physical, physiological yes. there. It's not Absolutely. just a you know, a phrase. Right. Yeah. And we also know so much more about how, um, how much of our, uh, like our neurotransmitters are created in our guts. Yes. You, yeah. I mean, the like something like 90% or something of serotonin is created in our gut. And so it makes so much sense. Now, those of us in the mental health field, that we need to pay attention to things way outside our thoughts and our skull brain because they're also interconnected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, as I was preparing for this podcast and we were looking at interpersonal neurobiology in play, in, in child therapy, in play therapy, these different ideas, um, I thought well, wait a minute, grownups benefit from play. We, we, oh, have, yeah. to, we have to, <laughs> like, what am I doing? Acting like, you know, this is just, you know, for children. I mean, right, right. What, I know better than to fall into that trap, right. but yet right. I was. So, right. you know, um, yeah. So what, you know, before we move to part two, let's set the stage for, for part two of what we're going to talk about and what broad ideas come to mind when you mm -hmm. think of interpersonal neurobiology and play. Let's, let's yep. say for any age, you yep. know, what, what, why is it good for us? Sure. So the first thing for me that, co that comes to mind for me is like sinking completely into interpersonal neurology's theory that as humans, our minds are complex systems and a complex system, like one of the characteristics of a complex system is that we're always trying to work towards some level of organization. We're always trying to come into regulation. That brings me back to Bonnie's statement that like kind of again, like blew me up, which was no behavior is maladaptive. And every moment based on what's happening in the here and now, and based on all of our past experiences and how they come together, our nervous systems, our bodies, our behaviors, our everything is responding in exactly the way it believes it needs to in order to be okay. And that for me is a theory shifting paradigm that impacts how I come into contact with my clients from the very, I mean, it impacts how I come into contact with people in the world, but specifically my clients as I'm thinking about what they're coming to therapy for, what their behaviors are, what their symptoms are, um, having 
a core underlying belief that even though this behavior is clearly causing a lot of fallout, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, right? That's one way of saying it. (laughs) Right. In the grand scheme of things, this behavior is maybe not working for this person. In the moment, it's exactly what their system believes is needed in order for them to be okay. And the other piece of interpersonal neurobiology and what, See Porges's work has helped us understand with science is, is that this, we're always looking for connection. We yes. ass, connections actually are default. We assume connections there and we're constantly seeking it. So, you know, you and I have similar populations, right? We work with these kids with enormous behavior difficulties. Yes. Not only enormous behavior difficulties, but relationally relational behavior difficulties, right? Like other people would describe them as, you know, manipulative, controlling, not wanting to be in relationship. Mm -hmm. So I had this population I was working with and then I had this theory. I was like, how do these things go together? Mm -hmm. This doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really needle that out. Like I had to really spend time believing that if connection is a biological imperative and we're always seeking it and this child is acting this way, which is clearly causing us to not want to be in connection, like what's happening? Yes. And I think that question, the what's happening question, the continued curiosity is the most important piece of interpersonal neurobiology and relational neurosciences in the therapy world in general Yes. But I think especially with these really, really hard kids who have been hurt so badly. Because in some ways, they're they're much more confusing to us. Yes. In terms of like figuring this out. Oh, yeah. 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 So, wow. Okay. So I am so excited um, to continue part two of this interview where we're going to talk more about like how this shows up in us, how this shows up in the therapy room, how this shows up in our work with children, all of that in part two. So everybody, I hope you will join us next week for part two with Robin Goel about all of these topics related to interpersonal neurobiology. Well, that was fun. As always, thank you, thank you for taking the time to connect with me today and for caring for kids impacted by trauma. I am so grateful for you. Keep coming back and keep doing amazing things out there in the world. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing, sometimes struggling. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. See you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally. Someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. 
We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.